The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Welcome back to another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. I am the namesake. Happy to have you with us once again this week. This is a podcast about high school football in West Virginia and Ohio, the Ohio Valley area. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud if you haven't already done so. And if you haven't already done so, please like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. New episodes drop every Wednesday. This is Season 4, Episode 6. Episode 6 of Season 4 are hard to believe because every year we do somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 to 20 of these. In that case, that would put us about a third of the way through the podcast season already, and it just seems so strange. You really get into it. The first third of the season feels like the build-up to the season and the opening weeks, the launch, and then you've got the meat of the schedule in that middle third, and then that final third is the run for the postseason and the postseason and championships and postseason accolades itself. So when you look at it that way, we're farther along in this podcast, and you really think we should be given that some teams just opened a couple days ago. We'll run down last week's action. Plus, Taryn Malone and I have some superlatives out of week one that we're going to hand out, and I'm going to weigh in on the mess created with Bishop Sycamore out of Ohio. I know many people saw or heard about that. A team that had no business playing on national television did exactly that on ESPN Sunday, and it is getting mocked all over the place on social media. I've seen people say, I'm taking the athletic director job at Bishop Sycamore. I'm going to be their new head coach and running back. I'm going to be, yeah, if you if you don't know about Bishop Sycamore, Ohio, just Google it. You can catch up in about five minutes. So I'll give some thoughts on that as well. Looking at last week's games to get started, Parkersburg High School may be the biggest story in the area as far as I'm concerned. They didn't play the closest game or even the best game, but I was stunned at what happened as PHS took on Huntington. The Big Reds lost the game 47-7, to and they lost senior receiver Carter King. King scored their only touchdown on a completion from Bryson Sanger. They went up 7 nothing, and then Huntington and scored the next 47 points of the game to route the Big Reds 47-7. But also somewhere along the line, King suffered a leg injury that he later confirmed on social media was a broken leg he's done for the season and as a senior, not certainly the way he wanted to go out, especially not with the COVID year before that. But now, if you're PHS, that's... I said this on Countdown to Kickoff, you'll hear that on Friday this week. I don't know that you could have had much worse of an opener aside from losing Singer himself, knock on wood. To lose the game and to lose one of your best receivers in the process, not ideal for Mike Bias's squad. They'll look to regroup, but they're going to have to find some people to step up quick. Eventually, someone's going to have to catch those passes. Singer's hamstring has been a cause for concern in the PHS camp this year. How healthy is he going to be, and will he be able to help shoulder the load and that extra load that may come about because of the fact that King is injured and done for the year? By the way, that was a Huntington defense that really kept the ball away from Bryson Singer. Yeah, his rushing, passing, and receiving totals, he only touched the ball 17 times all night long. Not a ton for Singer. You'd think he would be more in the 20 to 25 realm. Only 109 total yards of offense for PHS. Just not the night they needed to have. I believe the Big Reds had four turnovers in that game. Very un-PHS-like. Not at all indicative of what this team was expected to be going into the season. So they will be an interesting story because things don't get easier for them. They have Spring Valley calling on Friday night. The good news for PHS, they're at Stadium Field. The bad news, it's Spring Valley coming their way. 
Saturday. Parkersburg South played maybe the best game of the weekend, an absolute thriller on Monday night. We saved the best for last. The game was delayed from Friday to Monday because of COVID issues at Capitol, and in the process, it moved from Laidley Field in Charleston. I know it's the University of Charleston Stadium at Laidley Field, but it's one of those things where it'll always be Laidley Field to me and probably just about everybody else. But either way, it moved from Laidley on Friday to Erickson All Sports Facility on Monday. So not only did South get an unexpected home game, but they got a win, holding off Capitol 29-28 to in an absolute thriller. The game took over three hours to play. A lot of that was because of some cramping issues in the second half. Robert Shockey for South, the new quarterback, threw two touchdown passes in the first half, hooking up with Cyrus Traw and Tyson Mays. Traw, for what it was worth, had 10 catches for 149 yards and a score. The defense pressured Capitol quarterback Ja'Kai Long early, but he got his yards and made his plays in the second half to put Capitol back in that game. South had built up a 15-point lead in the fourth quarter before Capitol scored the final 14 points of the game. After the first touchdown, they went for two, got it, and they went for two after the second one did not convert that. The incompletion with 14.4 seconds left set up an onside kick attempt, which Capitol did not get either, and that sealed the win for Parkersburg South. So South had to defend a two-point try in the closing seconds to hold on for the win. And you really have to handed to Capital. They hadn't practiced a whole lot because they were on remote learning, so the team was together for the first time, I believe, since their last scrimmage over two weeks before. So coming together in the second half, they really put up a nice effort against Parkersburg South. That's a team in Capital with a lot of talent, and they're going to make some noise this season. they got a tough schedule in that MSAC, but they're going to win some games and may get into the playoffs around 4-6 and six or 5-5 five and five because you can do that in Class AAA. But Parkersburg South, some might look at that defense and say they let up a little bit in the second half, but consistently... Ja'Kai Long, all night long, was looking for places to throw the ball and not finding anybody. He didn't have a clean pocket for much of the night. South was defending well downfield, but you're playing a playmaker for four quarters. He's eventually going to get something. And add to this, the second half of that game saw stop at almost every other play for cramps. Guys were getting tired. Guys were wearing down. I even said on the broadcast that if they get in a position to where they could kick the extra point to tie the game or go for two to win the game, that I thought they were going to go for two in the win. They did. So I wasn't surprised at all to see that on a night where you've been there for over three hours. Kids are cramping up. Attrition is taking a toll. You had one play to win the game. Mark Mason in his first game as head coach made the absolute right call. If you're capital, unfortunately, Ja'Kai Long's pass just a little too long for the receiver who was open in the back of the end zone. A great game between two teams that are getting slept on a little bit in Class AAA, largely because we don't know what we're getting. Capital played just three games last season, so we had a very small sample size and a young roster at that coming back. Whereas with South, you had a team that won 11 times in 2019, they had a lot of the same people back in 2020, only managed to win one game in a tough season where they struggled with injuries and a lot of other adversity. But now they have graduated a lot of personnel from that team. So what do you expect out of the South team? They may be a surprise in Class AAA this season, especially if they can go on the road Friday on a short week and knock off a UHS team that I know a lot is expected of as well. Let's get to the small school level. There were some absolutely great games this week, and this is another one. Williamstown lost a double overtime thriller to Waterford. Much like with South, pass defense was crucial late. We didn't mention this. We talked about Parkersburg South, but Capitol scored the touchdown to move them into position to pull them within one on a ball that went through the hands of two defenders and deflected into the hands of an open Capitol receiver who danced into the end zone from five yards out for a score. Williamstown had Waterford backed up late. I believe this was in regulation. It was fourth down at about 15 or fourth and long, and a pass was deflected around and caught at the five-yard line by Waterford. Jump ball, the receiver pulled it down, and 
and made the catch to put Waterford at the doorstep. They ended up going for the tying score, nodded the game at 12. They went to overtime, turned it over, and, and, and had a defensive stop in the first overtime. I believe Williamstown turned it over in the second overtime, and Waterford scored on their possession in the second to win the ball game. A great game for Williamstown and Waterford. A good win for Waterford over a quality Williamstown team, but I know Williamstown wasn't interested in entertainment value. They wanted to win the game, and I was over there visiting with Williamstown earlier this week, and head coach Chris Beck thinks they gave one away. They are not happy about that loss over there, and their game this week against Warren has been moved to Saturday, actually, because of COVID issues with Warren. If those don't subside, that game may not happen at all. We may lose that game entirely, so for Williamstown, that loss could fester a little while, and even if they do get to play, Warren's been a pretty good team. They played a tight game last week with Morgan, and it was really Morgan only pulling away in the second half to a 28-14 win over Warren. But Matt Kimes in his third year at Warren, that program is building up. They're doing good things out there. Williamstown knows that they've had a tough start to their schedule, and it's because they're playing Ohio teams in part that have a weak jump start on them. Waterford was playing in their second game last week, Williamstown their first. Warren, if they play on Saturday, will be playing their third game this season, whereas it'll be only Williamstown's second. But again, a thriller and a great game. It was on the local television station, the Me My Station, WTAP Sports. And good to hear Jim Wharton once again. You know, people knock Jim Wharton for a lot of things, and I'm going to try to get him on this podcast. You know, he even talked about it in a sign-off. Yeah, he flubs the occasional name when you read the sports, but if you're a longtime sports fan in the mid-Ohio Valley, don't you kind of miss him right now? He was on your TV every night. He was always there for the kids. He was always a dependable, reliable presence at high school sporting events and a friendly guy to boot. If you ever met him out and about at a ball game, he was friendly. He always said hi. always smiled and, and waved at me, even when I was on the air when he walked past me. I miss seeing him at games, and uh, I hope to have him on the podcast later this year. I know in PHS and South meet in a couple weeks, I'm going to try to reach out and make that happen, because I want Jim Wharton on the show, and uh, I want to mix it up with him in studio. I think that would be a ton of fun, but uh, great to hear him again, and uh, hear him working with Mike Hayden again on that WTAP broadcast as uh, Williamstown lost to Waterford. I know they'll do some games together, and uh, that's a cool use for Jim Wharton in his retirement, because he wants to do the play-by-play, so let him do the play-by-play and not have to do the sports director stuff, and uh, it's a good fit, and I think the viewer is all the better for it. St. Mary's was held scoreless in a loss to Roan County, 6 nothing loss, and a game that, if you were to read that score, that almost sounds like something at a very, very small school level in the southern part of the stage. Like, if you were to tell me Meadow Bridge and Richwood met, and it was 8-6 to six or 6 to nothing, okay, this score comes right out of the 1960s. St. Mary's had two chances inside the five-yard line, one of which was in the fourth quarter. They blew those chances on fumbles. Uh, the defense created takeaways and kept St. Mary's in the game, and it was all the defensive line led by Riley Bowley and others up front. They forced pressure on quarterback Shadrach Greathouse, two interceptions from Peyton Gerrard, and also they recovered a fumble on a, a bad snap. Rome County's punting game absolutely atrocious. They could not snap the ball back to the punter, and that was a fiasco all night long, but St. Mary's couldn't take advantage of that or the two turnovers. They had good field position a couple times after the takeaways, and twice within the five-yard line, they blew chances to score. You cannot do that and expect to win football games, especially when you've got a defense like St. Mary's, and now you have to wonder how much of a liability is that offense going to be for the Blue Devils if they can't fix those problems quickly. You have a defense that held a Class AA team to six points. You ought to be able to win that game. Long and short of it, I, I feel like they're going to feel that way in St. Mary's too. So they know they have to make a quick fix and, and, and to find some things fast that are going to put some points on the board because if you've got a defense that has the potential to be a really good unit, even though they replace a lot of starters on defense, they replace a lot of starters on both sides of the ball, but you've got a defense that allowed six points to a team one class up and you can't win the game, that's not a good sign for St. Mary's. So if they can find any offense somewhere, they can grind out some games around that defense as long as that defense stays healthy. So we'll see what happens this week 
as St. Mary's takes on Ravenswood. Frontier rolled over Payton City 34-0, but that game was stopped prematurely in the third quarter because Payton City was down to just nine healthy players. I don't know, and I didn't read enough into this or I haven't talked to anybody to know if they went from 11 to 9. There were a couple injuries simultaneously that caused concern, or if there were plays where they played with 10 players. But either way, they only had 13 to 14 healthy guys to begin with to start the game. Their numbers were down. They lost a very key player in the weeks leading up to the regular season in an off-field injury. They lost him for the season. So when you had 15 to 16 coming into the year, you knew the margin for error was very slim, and you had to keep guys healthy on and off the field. Having to end your first game in a year, pretty much, because they only played two games last year, but having to end that game early because you did not have enough players to finish, that's not a good sign for Payton City. So we'll see if they're even able to play this week. River moved to 1-1 one one with a win over Marietta. Another notable action from this region, the Pilots picked up a 35-14 win over Marietta, so the Tigers leave an 0-2. River evens the record at 1-1. One one. They've got a fun one with Monroe Central. That's always a rivalry in that neck of the woods. Ritchie County survived a slow start to move past Tyler Consolidated. The Rebels led only 14-6 at the half before scoring 24 straight points in the second half to put the game away and to open things up. Gus Morrison and Ethan Hott led the way for the Rebels. Morrison had a couple touchdowns in that game. I don't know what Rick Hott said in the halftime locker room over in Ellenboro, but I would have to think that it did the trick, and I think a slow start in your opener and this isn't anything against Tyler Consolidated. They're no slouch. They're not a bad team. But Ritchie County had two veterans coming back at the skill positions in Ethan Hott and Gus Morrison. Though they're young at a lot of other places, I think they expected maybe a bigger start than that. I think this is going to be a turning point for the Rebels, even though they did get the win. And they won comfortably. They ended up winning 30-12, by the way. I think this may be a turning point. They got the week off before they face Wahama and then St. Mary's after that. So if you're Ritchie County, you're further developing that offense. A lot of new guys got involved. Marlon Moore was a running threat. We saw him on defense last year as a sophomore. A very talented athlete. I was really impressed with him on defense last year in Wichita County's playoff run. We'll see what he adds to the fray as well and see who else they develop around Hot and Morrison. But Wichita County has a potential for special things and after a slow start, they put up a comfortable win over Tyler Consolidated. And how about Magnolia with an impressive win over Ravenswood? They put up 43 points on the board to defeat the Red Devils 43-27. to Wart County is on the docket for Magnolia this week and even though Wart County is no pushover, they had a comfortable win themselves over Calhoun this week and put up 50 points to do it. The Tigers were a playoff team last year, and that could be a competitive matchup between Magnolia and Wart County and a really sneaky good game in the area this week. Uh, not saying that Magnolia has a chance to come in there and go to 2-0 and do so easily, but this is a game that is very much a toss-up, and if the Blue Eagles get off to a good start and come in with a confidence that they should come in with after a win against Ravenswood, that's going to be a fun game, and it's anybody's guess as to whether or not Magnolia goes to 2-0 or Wart County goes to 2-0. But I think a lot of the fortunes, and at least the early trajectory this season, will be decided on Friday when those two teams meet up. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Let's talk more about week one. Taryn Malone and I put together a list of superlatives in a number of categories. You'll hear mine first, and then Taryn will share his. These are the categories. Best opener, most surprising opener, least surprising opener, biggest development, and best performance. Also, there's the team that needs to rebound in week two with a win, team that most needs to rebound in week two with a win. So Taryn will chime in with his in just a few moments, but here are my picks. First, the best opener, I had a tie. Williamstown-Waterford was a double overtime thriller and a great ball game, a defensive struggle.
struggle for most of the game. While in the overtimes it was a real battle of attrition, the turnovers that were made in the overtimes were not so much a case of teams making mistakes as it was teams trying to fight fatigue and hang on and endure for the win. So that one is a tie because it was just a, a slugfest in double overtime between two good football teams. And the one that I saw, South and Capital. I called this with Bill Marshall on Countdown to Kickoff last week. And I even called it, I believe, on this podcast where I said it wasn't so much going to be a track meet or a shootout in the event of point totals in the 40s, 50s, or anything like that. Nothing ridiculous like that. But it was going to be a shootout in terms of going back and forth. And it was going to come down to the wire. And it did. Parkersburg South built up a 29-14 lead before Capital scored the final 14 points of the game. And only was South able to win it when Capitals' two-point drive with 14.4 seconds to go failed on a pass missed in the back of the end zone. Good ball game. The turnover battle was even a 2-2 between South and Capital. The game went down to the wire a little long because of all the injuries and the stoppages in the second half for guys going down with cramps. But at the same time, it was a thriller. We saw some good play, good action, big plays, and I think two teams that are going to put up some bigger things than people expect in 2021. The most surprising game in Week 1 to me, I'm going to go PHS Huntington on this. Like I said, not only the development with Carter King, we'll get more to that in a minute, but the fact that I wouldn't have expected Huntington to reel off 47 points in a row in that game, and for those to be the last 47 points scored in a 47-7 to drubbing of the Big Reds. I really did not think that Huntington, and I do not think the Huntington is 40 points better than PHS. I think if these two teams were to meet in like week 8 or week 9, the result would be a lot different. That having been said, Huntington was able to take advantage of a PHS team that might not have been prepared, might not have adapted to the adversity of losing Carter King, and might have just been having an off night. But either way, that's the most surprising game to me in week 1. The least surprising game is Ritchie County running away late against Tyler Consolidated to pick up a win there, 38-12. to And again, there's only a one-score game at the half. The Rebels have a lot of talent talent coming back, and it's not a knock on Tyler Consolidated at all, as I said in an earlier segment of the program, but the Rebels were a team that I thought would win comfortably in this game, and will win comfortably in a lot of games this season. To be honest, I think that holds true with St. Mary's, especially from what we saw out of St. Mary's this week. I think Ritchie County wins that game by a few touchdowns, to be quite honest. We're not there yet. We'll talk much more about that one in a few weeks. So, to me, Ritchie County running away from Tyler Consolidated is the least surprising development there. Is the least surprising result local in week one. The biggest development, how about the Carter King leg injury at PHS? He was supposed to be their top receiving target this year for both Bryson Singer and sophomore David Parsons, who's going to get some snaps at quarterback when they use Singer at running back or when they use Singer in the slot. They're going to move Singer around so Parsons will see some time at quarterback. This may be the easiest way to do a two-quarterback system or the most effective where you have a skill player that you put at quarterback but you move him elsewhere and have a second guy come in there. For both of those guys, King was supposed to be uh, that big threat, and now you take him out of the equation. Who steps up for the Big Reds? They need some people to step up fast over at Stadium Field. The best performance of Week 1 goes to Parkersburg South. Cyrus Traw, 10 grabs, 149 yards receiving, and a touchdown. They used him in the running game, but to be honest, his results there and his uh, success there was negligible at best. A lot of the touches he had were negative touches, and they were quite predictable. Like You knew he was going to get the ball because they weren't faking to him when he was in the backfield. He was in the backfield almost essentially get the ball, and they rarely faked to him on jet sweeps when he was coming through to get the ball that way. Anytime he appeared in a situation where he looked to be a runner, where they were obviously just trying to feed him the ball, Capital was able to sniff that one out pretty quickly. So they're going to have to get just a little bit more creative on how they use him offensively, but as a receiver, 10 grabs, 149 yards, and a touchdown. Not shabby for a debut for Cyrus Traw this season. The team that most needs to rebound with a win, and there are a few of them, the couple 
couple runners up that I have. Williamstown and Warren is on that list. I think Williamstown will eventually be fine. I didn't put that one as my pick, although Williamstown to fall to 0-2, I think, would be something that is not often seen in Williamstown, and that's going to put them in a position that that program does not know. Also, PHS and Spring Valley missed the cut because that's a tough call for PHS to have to go in at home and win against Spring Valley when you were blasted by 40 against Huntington a week ago. Though they do need a win, and uh, they need one quickly, I don't know that uh, they get it this week either. So I'm going to go with St. Mary's as the team that most needs to rebound with a win. Ravenswood comes in off a loss to Magnolia. If you're St. Mary's, you're looking at a pair of 0-1 teams and a team against whom you've had some success in recent years in Ravenswood. So I would think that tends to bode well for St. Mary's, and I would think that St. Mary's will come in with a little bit of confidence if they can find something to go on offense because uh, if they go to 0-2 with a young team, I don't know that that bodes well for St. Mary's this season. Some tough games left on that schedule. We see Magnolia Tyler consolidated down there. They will not be pushovers, and the big one coming up in a couple weeks is Ritchie County. Again, Ritchie County has a bye this week. St. Mary's has a bye next week, so when those two teams meet in two weeks, they'll have already had their buys this season. They'll both have two games in under their belts. But looking at St. Mary's against Ravenswood of late, the Red Devils actually defeated St. Mary's 31-13 to at Bill Hamlin Stadium back in 2018. They didn't play last year, but other than 2018, to find the last time Ravenswood beat St. Mary's, you got to go all the way back to 2011 when Ravenswood picked up a 47-26 to win over the Blue Devils. That was not a playoff year for St. Mary's. So St. Mary's has managed to win seven of their last eight against the Ravenswood Red Devils. That ought to give them some confidence, but it also means that the pressure's on because St. Mary's is the team, in my opinion, that most needs to rebound with a win. Taryn Malone made his picks in the same categories. Taryn, what you got? Well, Eric, week number one at high school football season is finally over, and we have our best opener yet. Capital at Parkersburg South. Talk about a game. This game took place Monday evening, and it came down to the final seconds as Capital would find the end zone with nearly 14 ticks to go. However, the Patriots would hold off the Cougars on the game-ending two-point conversion as Parkersburg South slides past Capital by a final score of 29 to 28. South's Robert Shockey threw two touchdown passes and raked in 320 yards of total offense. The most surprising game in week number one would have to be Roan County at St. Mary's. The Raiders earned a hard-fought victory over the 2020 Class Single A defending state champions by a final score of 6-0. The least surprising game in my category, Tyler consolidated at Ritchie County. The Rebels have been working their way towards success over the past three seasons and they started out quite well with a quality 38-12 victory over the Tyler consolidated Silver Knights in week number one. The biggest development in my category would have to be Ethan Hot for Ritchie County as he's stepped up in that leadership role as a starting quarterback only his junior year. He only had one interception from his season ago. The entire Ritchie County squad poses a threat to any team that steps in their way on their schedule this season. However, the best performance category would go to Magnolia. Marcus Barnes was the man that was all over the stat sheet as he rushed for 153 yards and two touchdowns for the Blue Eagles to sort their way past a quality Ravenswood team by the final score of 43 to 27. MHS
Jazz starts out 1-0 for the first time since 2018. The team that needs to rebound and recover this week. Williamstown, they lost in a double overtime thriller against Waterford, Ohio, 18-12. The Yellow Jackets take on a quality 1-1 Warren local squad this week that could create issues down the road if WHS does not get the win this week. Some local high school football games of the week I'm keeping my eyes on this week. 1-0 Parkersburg South at 1-0 University. A pair of 0-1 teams seeking their first win of the season. Spring Valley at Parkersburg. And finally, 1-0 Magnolia at 1-0 Work County. Meanwhile, some statewide games of the week in Class AAA, 1-0 Huntington at 1-0 Hurricane. Class AA, 1-0 Nicholas County at 1-0 Shady Spring. And finally, the game of the week in my category, Class Single A, 1-0 Buffalo at 1-0 Petersburg. You can also join myself and Tyler Consolidated student Travis Heinzman as we call all of the action Friday evening at Kidwell between 0-1 Tyler Consolidated as they host the 1-0 Doddridge County Bulldogs. Prior to kickoff, you can also tune in at 6 o'clock and listen to a brand new episode of Sports Talk Line tonight, a weekly high school sports series featuring high school athletics all across the state of West Virginia. We'll have an updated look at all of the games that's taking place that evening, and we'll also bring you interviews from your favorite sports programs and more. You can check in on all of the action this Friday night starting at 6 o'clock on Nights 91.5. From across the state of West Virginia, I'm Metro News correspondent Taryn Malone. Eric, back to you. All right, thank you, Taryn, and good luck to you as you broadcast that Tyler Consolidated Doddridge County matchup on Friday night. I know Marcus Barnes is somebody that Magnolia head coach Dave Chapman was very excited about. He was excited about his backfield in general, so to see Barnes stuff the stat sheet, that's a good sign for the Blue Eagles. But yeah, as Taryn and I were recapping, it was a really strong week one in West Virginia high school football. There were some good Ohio games as well, but the area games this week really seemed to fit the bill. And not that there were not any good moments or good games last year, but it just seemed to be a little off. We were missing something. A lot of teams that were the top teams in the state were not able to play because of COVID metrics. And though there were postponements and delays and cancellations this week, by and large, it was good to have as normal looking a high school football slate as we've seen really since 2019 in West Virginia. Let's go between the hash marks. Before we wrap up, I know we normally talk about West Virginia-centric things on this program, but there's a high school football story that is going nationwide, and it's the mess that happened on Sunday. Bishop Sycamore, a charter school, went on ESPN on Sunday and suffered a 58 to nothing blowout loss against IMG Academy. IMG Academy is a school out of Bradenton, Florida, that often puts together high-caliber athletes in all sports, and they get recruited by Division I schools. So they wind up in a lot of made-for-television showcase games like the one Sunday against Bishop Sycamore, which, by the way, aired on the main ESPN network. This was Sunday afternoon programming on Big ESPN, Bishop Sycamore out of Ohio and IMG Academy. Bishop Sycamore entered the game when they stepped up to play, IMG Academy being very good as a team that often has a hard time finding opponents. So they rely on these showcase games to get opponents. So when Bishop Sycamore stepped in, even though there were some red flags around this program, it didn't stop ESPN. And it didn't stop a company called Paragon Marketing Group for allowing this game to continue. We'll talk more about Paragon in just a few moments. But Bishop Sycamore told the folks at ESPN that they had a lot of Division I talent, despite the fact that nobody from Bishop Sycamore was listed in the ESPN Top 100. And a lot of times when you go to vet a situation, one of the first things you do is Google. I mean, that's if you're looking to hire somebody at your company, or if you're finding out information about high school sports, any of us that do prep for high school broadcasts, 
the first thing we do is we Google. And right away, that should have been a red flag to acknowledge that there was not a lot of information out there about Bishop Sycamore. There were lots of reports from people that have covered them lately that they did not provide complete rosters until very late in the process. I know a broadcaster out of the Texas area. He lives near Dallas. His name is John Little, spelled L-I-D-D-L-E, different spellings and no relation. He broadcast a game involving Bishop Sycamore back on August 19th. They were playing Archbishop Hoban. It was a season opener for both schools. John posted on Facebook that he got the roster from them 90 minutes before kickoff after asking for two weeks, and the coach called him before the game to verify the start time of the game that night. He wasn't sure if it was 7.30 or 7. we get more to the coach in a minute. John story matches up with a few different stories from people that had covered this team of late. There's just a lot of questions and it was a little tough to vouch for and tough to vet this school and what they were all about. But here is part of the big problem. Other than the fact they lied about having multiple top recruits to get on TV, they had just played a game Friday night and they were turning around to play on ESPN Sunday afternoon. They lied in order to get on television and because their online presence is a muddled mess ESPN let them play IMG Academy. By the time that game got to 30 to nothing, the announcers on scene were openly saying that they didn't think Bishop Sycamore had what it takes to keep up with IMG. They didn't think they had any business being in the game. And despite the fact that they did not have much of an online presence, not just as an athletic department, but as a school, they were allowed to play in this game. There's no school website. There's no roster page on a site like maxpreps.com, which regularly has schedules and rosters and things like that. So there's not much of an online presence for this school, much less the team. The school is believed to be an online charter school, but actually USA Today has uncovered that Bishop Sycamore was not listed as a charter school for 2021 or 2022 by the Ohio Department of Education. It's listed as a non-chartered, non-tax-supported school. They chose to be non-chartered due to quote, truly held religious beliefs. Their address is not even known. They're listed as an online-only charter school. They only have a P.O. box listed as their address. Their founder claims they rented out building space prior to the pandemic. To make things even weirder, there are multiple players on the Bishop Sycamore team that played for other high schools and some even graduated from those high schools. Jalen Knight, a quarterback, is listed as a student at Perry Hall High School in Maryland. Another player, Trillian Harris, also claimed to play for Bishop Sycamore after three seasons at Colony High School in Ontario. He was listed as a senior at Mission Viejo High School on another site. Harris also claimed to have an offer from UTEP, the University of Texas El Paso, when asked the coaching staff there said they've never heard of Trillian Harris. So it was a lot of people lying about a lot of things. They even launched a GoFundMe last month to try to fund the football season before it stopped taking donations. And using film from two days before, there was evidence the team played the game against Stow Rocks outside Pittsburgh, and many of those same players played in both games. ESPN got duped. Paragon Marketing Group got duped. Paragon Marketing Group, by the way, is a group that puts on the ESPN High School showcases in multiple sports. They work with ESPN to select the top regular season football and basketball games in the country, according to their website. They typically air around 25 games annually. They coordinate the schedules. They manage event logistics on site because these are made for TV games and it takes a lot of manpower on the scene to make these things happen. They sell and integrate sponsorships. So this is a company that helps ESPN stage these events and takes a little bit off of their plate in terms of sales, marketing, and operations. The result is that ESPN is able to put people on like Deshaun Watson, Anthony Davis, Zion Williamson, guys they've had on before 
before on one of these high school showcase events, LeBron James made his debut on ESPN2 in a high school showcase event that Paragon Marketing Group promoted. But as reputable as they've been and as long of a relationship as this has been between Paragon and ESPN, they too were unable to vet Bishop Sycamore and did not perhaps do due diligence about this. The fiasco has taken a strange turn and it's a sinister turn. It's already sinister enough that you've got kids playing in two games in less than 48 hours. That's not healthy at the high school level or any level. The Bishop Sycamore fired their head coach Roy Johnson on Tuesday. School officials said the decision to move on from Johnson was made Sunday night after the game, but they did not publicize the news until after having another conversation with Johnson earlier Tuesday. But the scandal continued to spiral out of control. Uh, School officials say one reason behind Johnson's removal was the poor job of tracking the team's injuries. There's also a pending fraud charge against Johnson. He's in some legal trouble. There are allegations that the whole program is a scam. The kids aren't actually going to classes or doing what they're supposed to do. Johnson faces an active warrant in Ohio for failure to appear in a domestic violence case. It was eventually dropped to criminal mischief. The warrant was issued July 2nd and remains active. He's also going to go to trial for defaulting on a $100,000 loan from First Merchants Bank, a loan that he used to operate Christians of Faith Academy. He also faces a civil suit after allegedly not paying a hotel over $100,000 to house football players back in 2018. It seems as though Bishop Sycamore was his way to help fund some of those legal problems and help get out of those money problems. A former investigator from the Ohio High School Athletic Association told this to Awful Announcing when asked about the purpose for the program, saying it was just for Roy Johnson to make money. So it seems like it was a scam football program that cobbled together whatever players they could scam out of their money because I would imagine they probably paid for the privilege to play so that Johnson could pay off creditors and make this all look legit. He meanwhile got on ESPN. I don't know if that was there solely to raise exposure or I don't know if they got a payout from ESPN, but it seems as though Johnson was using this football program to try to make money for himself and to try to get out of other problems. Christians of Faith Academy was another school that could be a football first kind of thing, and the story there is very similar to what we're seeing from Bishop Sycamore. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine issued a statement Tuesday asking for an investigation into Bishop Sycamore and questioned whether or not the school was meeting Ohio's standards for school operations. Their next game was scheduled to be with Duncanville in Texas. They've canceled their game with Bishop Sycamore, and I don't know if they're going to be able or allowed to play another game until people get to the bottom of this. The relevance to high school football is is big time because it puts a black eye on the game itself. This is a school that under false pretenses took a spotlight maybe not away from somebody else but they got on in a spotlight and now it's raised questions and created a shroud around all of high school football but this is a school that doesn't seem to fall within any high school athletic administration or any sanctioning body in any state. As long as people are still working with schools like that, and this is a little bit on ESPN, this is a little bit on Paragon, as long as you're still working with schools that you cannot vouch through a state-sanctioning body like the WVSSAC, like the OHSAA, then you're going to have the potential for things like this. I think moving forward, ESPN and Paragon Marketing need to commit to working with either reputable schools like an IMG Academy that is well-known or working through state sanctioning boards and state federations. Otherwise, you run the risk of putting a black eye on the sport and on the game itself, and you run the risk of hurting young people that may not have anything to do with this other than that they wanted to play football and that they thought this was the right way to try to get noticed and get to college.
The players are victims themselves. That's another sad truth in this debacle. But if ESPN and Paragon really wanted to highlight the best in high school football, they would work with the NFHS and the state sanctioning bodies to try to find matchups to put on. There are all kinds of matchups that people would watch. And I know that there's a lot of people thinking that, well, if we put ESPN 100 recruits, that'll get people to watch. No, it won't. You can go on to Huddle, you can go on to YouTube, you can go anywhere and find clips of the best players at high school football, as long as you know some names. I could go take a look at the ESPN 100 list, the recruiting list, and then Google those names or YouTube them or, or, or search them on Huddle and see all the clips I wanted to. We are in a, a society where people just don't sit down for football. Young people don't sit down to watch college football and NFL football anymore. They don't make it appointment television. So why would people think showing these players off in a long form format like this would be the best way to get viewership. If they really wanted to show off the best players, they would run a clip show of ESPN 100 players and just do nothing but that for an hour and just show the best players and some of their best plays. Make it look like the And One mixtape or make it look like a Tony Hawk skating video from the 80s and just do that for an hour. Best plays from the best players and people would watch that. People would definitely watch that because it's in short snips, short clips. It's exactly the kind of stuff they're watching off their phones right now. So I don't buy that they feel like they would have to put schools like this on in order to get ratings. If you wanted to get ratings, here's my suggestion. Go to these sanctioning bodies. Work more closely with the NFHS. Work more closely with the state sanctioning bodies. Get boots on the ground and really dig roots into high school football if you want to invest in that and find which matchups have the potential to be the best. Or you can take streaming matchups and put that video, even with the local announcers, run that on ESPN on maybe Tuesday, say August through October before the Mac and the Sunbelt Conference winds up airing on Tuesday nights. Put those games on ESPN, ESPN2, or ESPNU during the week. There was a great game Friday or Saturday maybe. Well, if you promote the fact that, hey, you'll have to see this game in California to believe it, people will flock to that. If they know the outcome is going to be good, put that game on. It might not be new, but it's new to them if they haven't seen it. There are a lot of football fans that will watch a game they know is going to be a competitive game if you just tell them it's going to be a competitive game, and they don't care who's playing, to be quite honest. They just want to see football on a random Tuesday night in October. That's why schools from the MAC and the Sun Belt started playing their games on weeknights like Tuesday and Wednesday. They did that to get eyeballs because there is an audience that just does not care who's playing. They just want to watch football. So I think there's an audience for doing that. But either way, ESPN and Paragon have got to be wiser to the Bishop Sycamores of the of the world and run away from red flags when they see them. Now, Bishop Sycamore is allegedly not an official charter school, but West Virginia is adopting some charter schools, and they're preparing to implement a new state charter school system. They have a state charter school board. I think it would behoove West Virginia, not just athletically, but academically, it would behoove state education officials if they would keep a close oversight on the charter school program to make sure that West Virginia doesn't spawn a Bishop Sycamore, because the last thing that anyone needs is to have that kind of thing happen and tarnish your reputation. Total mess, a lot of victims, and it's really not even one of those scandals that is going to wind up having a funny ending. It's just a sad scandal in a lot of ways. Not a lot of good is going to come out of this other than maybe an awareness to pay attention to and heed the red flags that surround some of these programs. 
This week on Seven Rangers Radio, Light Rock 93R has the St. Mary's Ravenswood matchup. V96.9 has Parkersburg South and UHS. And WVAM has the Parkersburg High School home opener as the Big Reds host Spring Valley. My games of the week, and it's a more diverse slate than you might think, Williamstown-Warren. I think if it happens on Saturday, if Warren's COVID issues have cleared up enough to allow Warren to play this game, I think it's a must-win for Williamstown early in the season. They just cannot afford to go to 0-2. And of the two, I really thought Williamstown would pick off Waterford and they would struggle more against Warren and they may still do so. So that is a large reason why Williamstown probably feels like they have to have this one. And I would agree. They got to have this one. You can't go to 0-2 if you're Williamstown. Though if there's any program that can rebound, it's that one. But I just can't see them going 0-2. I think Williamstown finds a way this week through the adversity of a loss and they forge a win against Warren. But Matt Kimes and his Warren Warriors will not make it easy. Parkersburg South and UHS, a pair of teams that come in flying pretty high and feeling pretty good. South on short rest and on the road could be a significant disadvantage. If the Patriots can pull this off and go to 2-0, I think they're going to get a lot more attention for what they've done, and I think the sky's the limit for that team if they can get that win on the road. And then River and Monroe Central. The Pilots are 1-1 now, so too is Monroe Central. That's a good regional matchup, Hannibal and Woodsfield. I like what River Monroe Central brings to the table. I think that should be an interesting game. It almost always is. Uh, River's got Magnolia next week, too, so they're getting into that nuts and bolts portion of the schedule where you're starting to see the regional rivalries after a couple games up front. They had Bel Air and then Marietta, and then we're getting into the regional rivalries, and then they'll play some conference games, and then they'll finish up with Frontiers. So River's schedule is always fun. I think the Monroe Central matchup is coming at a good time of their schedule. We'll see who goes to 2-0 there. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Download us each Wednesday on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Like us on Facebook at the Arkansas High School Football Podcast if you haven't already. We'll have much more coming next week after week one in West Virginia and week two in Ohio. Uh, we were given some great games to talk about, and I'm sure we'll find some better ones to talk about next week as well. Thank you for listening. For Taryn Malone, my name is Eric Little. Until next time, enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening.